This is Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho, featuring inspirational and fascinating personal stories of people from all corners of the globe who are now in St. Louis. We'll take a look at the U.S. through newcomers' eyes, get some insight into world history and cultures, and maybe learn something about ourselves. Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. Okay, welcome back to Stories of New Americans here on News Talk STL. Um, today I'm joined by Miki Balta, who's from Romania. Uh, Ziua. Bună ziua. A couple of the Romanian words I know. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Sure. And I usually like to kind of set the scene geographically for our listeners who may not be familiar with where some of these countries are. So can you explain where Romania is on the map, what countries it borders? Uh, sure. Uh, Romania is part of uh, Europe, uh, used to be Eastern Europe. Uh, so it's mostly uh, to the east of uh, all the countries in Europe. Um, and uh, it has uh, Ukraine to the north, Moldova, Republic of Moldova to the northeast, the Black Sea to the southeast, uh, Bulgaria to the south, Serbia to the southwest, and Hungary to the west. Wow. So like so many countries, because it's got so many neighbors and it's sort of like a crossroads of history and, and humanity, I'm sure there have been a lot of you know, influences, linguistic, cultural over the years. Um, for example, I think a lot of people, including myself, thought that Romania was a Slavic language, but it's actually not, right? It's a Romance language. Absolutely. It's a Latin. We have Latin language. Romanian yeah. is part of... Uh, okay, you started with more than anything with the uh, Romans. Um, I guess and, that's where uh, the name Romania comes from, from yes, Roma, Romans. Yes, Roma, Romans, Just yes. Realize that now. Yes. Sami <laughs> um, Sajatuza is uh, Romania's history uh, that uh, was uh, the main where everything started, as a matter of fact, in the history. Um, and um, over the centuries, various... Uh, uh, migrating people invaded Romania. Romania's uh, uh, historical provinces like uh, Wallachia and Moldova, um, they offer fewer uh, resistance to the invading of the uh, Ottoman Turks. Mm. Um, yeah. And Romania, would you say it's like kind of close to Italian language, the language? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, we're close to Italian, French, Spanish, uh, some Portuguese maybe, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, yeah. That's really interesting. Spanish. It's right in the middle of all these Slavic countries. and I know, and yes. It's a we have completely... nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. even our alphabet is not, uh, our alphabet is uh, Italian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I just, you mentioned that you, you border Ukraine among other countries, and I, I just... Thinking now, I wonder, you know, if Romania has, has refugees from Ukraine over the, since the last year or so? Right now, yes, uh, we have some, um, uh, yeah, especially into our Moldova, because Romania is, uh, is, it has uh, regions like mm -hmm. uh, Moldova, Transylvania, and uh, um, the, the southern part, which is um, uh, Romanian. Mm -hmm. uh, but 
Uh, we're all Romanians, as a matter of fact. But up uh, in Moldova, we have a lot of Ukrainians that, uh, yeah, they're refugees right now. Okay. And you mentioned Transylvania. And I think a lot, a lot of people are familiar with Transylvania because of the Dracula story. Right. And Dracula actually was a person. Is that right? Absolutely, yes. Uh, Transylvania was uh, successively under uh, Habsburg, Ottoman, Hungarian, and uh, Wallachian rule, uh, while remaining a semi-autonomous province. Um, yes, uh, tensions were present and even uh, accentuated over the years. But Transylvania was always a Romanian province, and they will remain as such for years to come. Uh, Dracula was an actual historical figure, um, but probably not as uh, he is depicted in uh, movies. Um, And uh, what is the story about Dracula? (laughs) Well, but he was like a... a Prince or a count? Yes, and, yes, he was absolutely. Was he violent? I mean, how did you know how this legend got started? Did he do some bad things as a as a real person? Yes, uh, the uh, you know it started. Okay, the whatever it's written right now by uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, the iconic eighteen ninety seven tale of the vampire from Transylvania. Uh, is often uh, thought to be inspired by a a very mean, whatever, 15th century governor from present day, uh, Romania named Vlad the Impaler, Mm. uh, which was, uh, he was a prince of uh, Wallachia, also known as uh, Vlad III, um, or uh, Vlad Dracula, son of dragon, and most famously, Vlad the Impaler. In Romanian, it's uh, called uh, Vlad Cepesh in uh, our language. Um, he lived for about 45 years from 1431 until 1476. Um, he was a brutal, sadistic leader famous for torturing his foes. Mm. By some uh, estimates, he's responsible, though, for deaths of uh, more than 80,000 people in his lifetime. Uh, which is a large percentage of them by impalement. Despite these uh, atrocities, uh, he is considered a hero in Romania because he fought to protect his country uh, from the advances of its 15th century enemies, the Turks. Okay. Were the Turks ever able to take Romania? No. Oh, okay. But Dracula was not... A vampire then? No, just a no, absolutely not. Guy. Yes, yes. It was okay. just because the impaling, he was uh, he was like that. And, you know, we know, everybody knows here the uh, legend of uh, how vampires, you know, mm-hmm. die by, uh, you know, uh, what is it? The stake wooden in the stake heart. in the heart and whatever. Crucifix, garlic. And they're scared daylight. of garlic and everything. Yeah. Garlic is because Romanians love garlic. <laughs> Is it a kind of a tourist attraction now, his castle? Yes, Castle Bran. Uh, yes, it is, absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, it became a very known tourist attraction mm. all over the world. Yeah. Okay, I want to talk a little bit more about history, especially recent history, and then we're going to talk about your, you know, your personal story, and then we're going to bring the two together at the end with how you were involved with sure. what happened 80s in Romania. But um, 
Romania was an independent country for a while, and then um, I believe it was actually an Axis power in World War II, kind of probably forcibly on the German side. But then, um, like so many other Eastern European countries, Romania became part of, well, so-called Iron Curtain country, behind the Iron Curtain. And um, under the leadership of Nicolae Ceausescu, which we're going to talk about a lot. Um, Now, I want to hear a lot from you about what life was like under him, but I think a lot of people in the West um, kind of, until we knew better, we thought he was sort of a relatively good leader for one reason, because he seemed to be kind of independent of the Soviet Union. I remember in the 80s, you know, Romania was the only Eastern Bloc country to not follow the Soviet boycott of the Summer Olympics in Los Angeles. And we were, that's where we met Nadia Comaneci and all that stuff. So, you know, we thought, you know, Romania and Yugoslavia too were kind of not towing the party line of the Soviet Union, and we thought that was pretty pretty admirable. But the reality was not like that if you lived there, right? Correct. Uh, not 100%, but yeah, correct. Well, now he he became, the I guess, the president or the prime minister or chancellor in 19—actually, 65, right? He was not the first, um, you know, Soviet— era leader, but he was the leader until 1989, Correct. and we're going to talk about what happened then, but um, talk about like the the policies of, of him and, and his regime that made life so difficult for the average Romanian. Uh, sure. Um, as a matter of fact, the national elections were held in November of uh, 1946, uh, but were almost certainly rigged. The tiny Romanian Communist Party at that time was tiny, uh, which is uh, uh, PCR. Um, it's good for Partidul Comunist Roman, which is uh, the party, the Communist Party, Romanian party, uh, Communist Party, receiving almost uh, 90, 90% of that vote at that time. Was that a rigged vote? Yes. Okay. Uh, apparently, yes, as far as I know. <laughs> Uh, its uh, regime implemented Stalinist uh, economic uh, policies, particularly the forced uh, uh, collectivization mm-hmm. of agri- agriculture and rapid uh, industrialization. Um, the ranks of the government were filled with uh, pro-Soviets, while churches and other political groups were uh, suppressed. Uh, Nicolae Ceausescu was a dictator who ruled uh, over a bitter, poor population, subjugated, limited to just serve his uh, social projects. Uh, Empty shelves in the stores, um, bread, sugar, eggs, meat were to get only by using uh, number tickets corresponding to the number of family members. Non-heated homes or apartments no hot water, sometimes no water at all. Austerity policies uh, to have people starving in order to pay the foreign debt. 
women being forced to illegal abortion, and if caught, going to jail for years, along with the doctors or the nurses performing the procedure. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, my aunt went through that. She was a nurse, uh, and yeah, she had to go to, to jail for that kind of situation. Um, orphanages full of uh, mistreated children, uh, no education, no clothes to change uh, into four weeks. Uh, little girls with shaved heads so they can like get lice, crying, hungry, and full of bruises all over their bodies. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. So the, the, I know for a while Americans were adopting kids from these Romanian orphanages, and they were pretty infamous. But it was basically because there was a, as you said, a ban on abortion and other maybe other forms of birth control. So um, families couldn't afford to raise these kids that they had, and so they wound up in orphanages. Right? Correct. Yes, um, lots of uh, mothers were they had to renounce of uh, you know their kids, yeah. and um, um, they were put in orphanages. We had a lot of them in uh, Moldova, um, and. Uh, honestly, after the even during the Ceausescu era and uh, after that, we had a lot of uh, American families adopting these yeah. these children. Let's go back to the austerity policies. Now, you you mentioned that there was you know no heat, no mm-hmm. food in the stores, and um, my understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. He Ceausescu wanted to, I guess, reduce all of his foreign debt. Um, you know, become, be self-sufficient, not owe money to any other countries. And so he basically starved his people in order to export food and other things, right, to other countries? Uh, yes, that was one of the reasons. Another reason was the intellectuals in Romania were kind of limited to schools or even if they did go to school universities, um, they after that um, they were forced to go for three years in another um, town, city, um, country, uh, and stay there for about three years. Like I said, um, and then after that, if they could move back to their uh, home, was that was good. If not, they had to stay there for a while. And we're talking about like teachers mainly. Uh, doctors too, but teachers were, they had this period of time when they were, they had to be away from their families after finishing uh, universities. There was, there was no choice. That was, no choice. I remember when, when I, when I was teaching English in the, I guess this would be in the 90s, I had a student from Romania um, and she had been an actress in Romania. She came here as a refugee. She was been a, a stage actress in Romania and she told me one time that when one time she was in a play in a theater, I guess it was in Bucharest, it was in the wintertime, and uh, the theater was not heated. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a scene in the play that she was acting in where it took place in a restaurant, and she was sitting at a table with another actor, and they had glasses of water on the table. And she said the water froze through the course of the play. It was so cold in the theater. Yes. They just They just... Yeah. We're not able to heat the theater. Whoever was going to see, uh, you know, uh, a piece, uh, they had to wear their yeah. winter clothes on. They could not leave it there, you know. Yeah. So. I think it's time.
for us to take our first quick break. Sure. And then we're going to come back and pick up the story some more. I want to really hear more of these details. Um, you're listening to Stories of New Americans on 101.9, 94.1 News Talk STL. Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho on News Talk STL. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you in part by Arnell's Hardwoods. For all of your laminate and hardwood flooring needs, call them at 314-397-3252. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you in part by the Indoor Comfort Team. For all of your heating and cooling needs, call the Indoor Comfort Team at 314-230-9542. This is Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho on News Talk STL. Welcome back to Stories of New Americans. I'm talking with Mickey Balta from Romania. And we're talking about um, life in Romania under the dictator Nicolae Ceausescu in the, I guess, mostly 70s and 80s. The other thing I want to ask you about was was the so-called securitate, which is like the secret police. How prevalent were they and what what were they all about? Uh, sure, the uh, security service or securitate um, was uh, Ceausescu's uh, main army to force and suppress the Romanian population, uh, to throw in jail not guilty people, to limit the lives of every single family, uh, to just go to school or to work and come home and don't go out after 7 o'clock in the evening uh, or every night, to uh, not go to churches, to pray, uh, to not gather in uh, too many places, uh, more than one maybe, and um, like I said, not too many in that place, uh, et cetera. And were they, um, were were people encouraged to kind of um, report on, each other if they were doing something, quote-unquote, subversive? Not the lay people. <laughs> okay. But you didn't know who who was Securitate no, and who was not know. So you, people had to watch what they said yes. unless they really knew somebody. Yes. I guess. I mean, if they knew somebody, I guess it could be possible. Sure. Neighbors to neighbors won't do that or families or, you know, family members. But, yes, they were the... Um, undercover mm-hmm. security uh, people that were following, searching, um, you know, most of the uh, uh, the men or even women were part of, they had to be, they were kind of forced to be part of the, the Communist Party. So my dad was one of them. In order for him to uh, uh, get a good job and also to finish his school, uh, his university, um, he uh, was forced to be part of this uh, Communist Party, but um, he never participated in anything like that. And so he w- and he was scared of taking us to church. Uh, were the churches letting open? us go to church? Churches were open, yes, um, most of them, yes, but not twenty four seven. Well, yeah, not, but people could go, but if they went. They were scared to go. Let's okay. put it this way, because <laughs> they could they could lose their jobs. Yeah. Um, I wanted to also touch on 
what I'm calling the cult of personality of Ceausescu, because from what I've heard from Romanian people, um, he was depicted almost like a god, and you'd see his picture every in every classroom, everywhere. You know, he would there'd be almost all the books in bookstores would be supposedly written by him, because but he didn't even finish high school, I think, right? But he was right. writing all these scientific journals. Talk about that. Um, yes, um, he had a cult of personality that was taken to extremes, and um, uh, he uh, he was like. He wanted to be treated like a a god. Um, at that time, uh, you know, we looked like we had on, uh, for example, on uh, August August twenty third of each year, uh, year was uh, when we were celebrating the independence. Uh, we had marching, people marching just like you see in uh, China, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, those street whatever, and uh, all kinds of other shows put uh, up by schools, students, uh, universities, even little kids. Like just glorifying him, Yes, basically. yes. Army, a lot of, uh, yes, soldiers marching. So, yeah. And his cohort was his wife, Elena, who mm-hmm. some people say was even worse than him. Um, yes, his wife... Uh, was given the title of a PhD in uh, chemistry, uh, wouldn't allow nobody, I mean, not even her children, to have a higher rank in education than hers. But she also was not No, she just actually had educated. A, she yeah, just got she this... Un- just had a ghost diploma mm-hmm. <laughs> or something. Um, anyway, yeah, later on, the Romanians, uh, we realized that she was the one being worse than her husband. Uh, her background... Everybody says that she was selling uh, sunflower seeds at train stations. That was all her education background. Yeah. So the two of them were seen as like a package deal, and I understand that a lot of the books in bookstores were ostensibly written by her too, right? Not by her. But not really, but they were <laughs> yes. said to have been written yes. by her. Absolutely. Her her name was on them, all of them, but she never wrote a word. I don't think so. Anyway, that's how, what I know from, you know, I was pretty young mm-hmm. at that time, still in, you know, school, college. Well, let's talk about University. your story now. You, where, What part of the country were you born in? I was born in Bucharest. The capital. Okay. Uh, the capital, yes. Um, All right. And then you, how, what type of work did your father do? You said he needed to join the party to get a job. What kind of work did he do? Right. My dad finished the law school, just mm-hmm. as my mom did. Um, and, um, he, uh, wanted to, uh, be uh, an attorney and my mom didn't let him do it because he was, uh, she thought it's dangerous. Mm. So he, uh, applied to be, uh, he worked at the, um, in a ministry of uh, finances in Bucharest. Um, he was one of the, I would say, call it chief of staff. And then when my mom, they both finished the same school. That's how they met. As a matter of fact, uh, when my mom wanted to uh, do something similar to what he wanted to do initially, he said, nope, if you didn't let me do it, you won't do it either. <laughs> so she was. Uh, she started working at the uh, uh, National Bank of Romania, which was also in uh, Bucharest. 
What was your childhood like? Was it was it happy? My childhood. My childhood, yeah. Did you? You know, as a child, you find happiness even if you uh, make your own paper dolls, and you know, you go outside and you play with the other kids. Um, that's at that time. That's how we know it's that's fun and. So you didn't know that. We didn't know better. Your, your parents probably tried to shield you from the realities mm, of life. Not necessarily, but they were trying to offer uh, me the best they could do for their child. Were there, um, you know, you said there was limits to the amount of food that was available and heating and cooling. So did you know, did, you, did your family suffer a lot in terms of that type of thing? We suffered. I wouldn't say a lot because what, what? the time when I was still, I mean, at that time, we still had a little bit of uh, incentives from, you okay. know, uh, but um, right after, right before the revolution, um, the life was very, very hard to, okay. to bear. But when you were young, I guess being maybe in the 70s, um, yes. what what kind of food did people have regularly was was there much variety or did you was it was it difficult to find okay i was born in 1963 so until i would say 1970s so maybe even it's it all started in uh i think it was 1981 when after he went to visit some uh, african countries I'll talk about Ceausescu and uh, his group. Um, He was gone there. We had, uh, uh, in uh, 74, uh, I'm sorry, 77, we had a big uh, um, earthquake in Romania. And he was gone. Apparently, people say that he was uh, announced, you know. So he left the country just saying he's visiting. And uh, that was 1981 after that when everything started to go down. 1981? Yes. Mm-hmm. The economy, everything. So, so when, when there was, were there shortages of food or rationing of food? What, what was the typical diet for most people? Did you have like potatoes or? We had, but they were all. Difficult to find meat or fruit. Oh, meat, yes, absolutely. Meat was like, like I said, the shelves were empty. <laughs> And uh, uh, even, uh, you know, cans of goods, we did not have any. Uh, oil, eggs, we had to take uh, to get uh, by with those tickets. Yeah. They were all limited. Do you remember um, how that was explained by the, by the government, by the powers that be? Did they, did they say, we're, we're building socialism, we have to sacrifice? Or was it even addressed in the public? No. No, Did you know really. how when you were? Do you remember when you were in school, like let's say elementary school? How was the United States depicted in your history books or in your classroom? Was it seen as a the land of God? Land of God, <laughs> kind of. I oh, mean, meaning what? Meaning it was the the country of uh, uh, lots of uh, possibilities. That was the official description yes, in schools, that was, really? We all named, called uh, United States the country of uh, all possibilities. The only thing is, uh, yes, compared to what we had, but 
the difference is when you come here, you had it was, it is even now. It's just that you need to uh, choose the right possibilities to become a person. <laughs> but I'm like in the in the days of Ceausescu, I'm 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 I would assume that the official policy was that the United States was was a bad place, a negative place. No. Capitalist pigs and no? For the communists, the real ones, yes, but not for regular people. Right, Lay people, no. Yeah, you, maybe you didn't believe that, but weren't kids taught in school that America was the enemy? We did, no, we were not taught. Okay. We were talked about, you know. How did but, how did they depict the the Soviet Union then? Do you remember uh, when you were in elementary school? Did they... We had to like Soviet Union as children. Okay. And... Um, that was it. Other than that, we had no advantages being next to him. And then how was Ceausescu depicted to students in school? Was he seen as like a... Dictator. <laughs> that was a reality. But I'm just... Uh, were, were, were you kids taught that he was like a... Oh, t- yes. Grandfather of the country or something like that? The the schools had the teachers had to teach us that. That's what I'm getting. At. It was that's yes. what I'm it wondering was kind what they of did a teach you. Forced information to us as uh, uh, students, uh, but going home, you had another atmosphere. Right, but yeah, I was curious about what the, what they taught you in school, though. Right. In general, did you receive a good education though for like science and math and that type Me of thing? Me personally, yeah, you personally, people in general, was the education Absolutely. system okay? Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, even now, but especially then, education in Romania was, uh, it's a lot tougher, mm-hmm. a lot of information, a lot of uh, knowing by heart, learning by heart, uh, theorems, uh, everything. The exams in uh, um, college, universities, they were a lot harder. Yeah. Then, were uh, there other good aspects of life under Ceausescu, like health care or anything else, was, or was it, was it mostly negative? That was one of the things that, yes, kind of, because we did not really need uh, insurance, health insurance at that time. Uh, everything was free, pretty much. So from that point of view, it was okay. Yes, I can say that. But at the same time, it was free, but like if you needed to have a surgery or another kind of procedure, more uh, serious procedure, then you had to kind of tip. Oh. Yes. Bribe. Yes. Tip the doctors, mm-hmm. tip the nurses, uh, you know, everything else. I remember I had a, a apodectomy to be done, and uh, <laughs> my dad had to pay... What was at that time? I remember it was 2,000 lays, which would be now, uh, I would say, about 600, something like that, mm. uh, between four and $600 to pay the uh, the doctor to do a, yeah. a right wow. job, a good job. <laughs> and I mentioned before, we're going to be going to another break in a minute, but before we mentioned, um, I mentioned the Olympic team, Romania Olympic team in the Olympics in the United States. And Nadia Comaneci and the other Romanian gymnasts were just like so far beyond everybody else. What do you know, like did the government invest a lot of money in sports for young people like this and kind of 
develop talent to kind of show that their system worked? No, I, I, I wouldn't say they invested. Um, the kids, they, usually they were um, performing or, um, um, you know, training on their own. Mm. Uh, and they were supported by family, of course. Okay. And when was uh, an exception, like she was, like Nadia was, then yes, um, um, the friends, families, uh, even trainers, they were doing everything possible to yeah. uh, support and try to, you know, yeah, get her up there. Okay. All right. Well, let's take another quick break and then we'll get back and, and pick up the story. Um, you're listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL. Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho on News Talk STL. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you in part by Samim Afghan Restaurant, featuring traditional Afghan cuisine and conveniently located on Manchester Road in the Grove. Stories of New Americans. Brought to you by Hacking Law for individuals who want to come and stay in the U.S. Hacking Law fights for immigrants every day. Visit them at hackingimmigrationlaw.com. This is Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho on News Talk STL. Welcome back. We're talking with Mickey Balta from Romania, and I wanted to ask you what you did after you finished high school. Did you go to university? What kind of a career path did you follow? Um, yes, I uh, did. Uh, I went to the University of Science, Physics, and Psychology, and ending up uh, with a, a PhD in both classes. Mm. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was first uh, just regular diploma, and then we had to go for more, a little bit more into it. And then now let's, you were, I guess you were working in that field in the late 80s when things were getting bad. And then it was 1989 when the revolution happened there and Christmas Day. I would still remember that. Can you talk about what led to this? 1989 revolution and how it played out? Because I think you were there in Bucharest. When yes, happened. I was. Yes. I oh. was teaching at that time. Oh, boy. Okay. Yes. Well, let's talk about how, how the, I guess, why it finally happened then and how, I guess, people were just fed up. You said life was getting worse and worse. How did that play out? Um, as far as I know, uh, there were kind of like two versions of the revolution. Um, one was... Uh, that the limit was achieved and the elastic band snapped. Oh. Uh, the other one uh, was that the revolution was planned a long time before, was a setup organized by the ones that were already expected to take over. How? Yes. Um, it was the right moment uh, in Timisoara, which was one of the kind of, as a matter of fact, uh, that's where it started. Um, Ceausescu's uh, speech at the balcony of the parliament in Bucharest uh, opened the door to a big, ample show of unhappiness, being fed up 
with all the lies and cheating, reaching the limits of uh, political, anti-humanitarian behavior, the physical, financial, moral, psychological pain that a whole country could not endure anymore. So that was that did it. It was that's it. There was the limit of trying to endure the situation. Were you there when he was giving that speech? Were you listening to it and yes. progressed? Yes. Uh, so then I can re- I can remember watching that on television, how he he thought he had the crowd in the palm of his hand and then they started to denounce him and yell at him and he didn't know how to deal with that one. He he was talking from the balcony, like I said, of the parliament. Um, it was scary. It was sudden. Absolutely. Like a spark. Um, a wave of uh, national screaming happening in one minute. That's how fast it started. And uh, a gigantic sign, an awful sound, raising like raising from the dead, uh, reaching higher and higher, uh, a chill on your spinal cord, a seismic sound that lasted minutes then, but that I can uh, still hear today. So people were yelling and then... Yes, they started to scream. They were Some of them were just scared because they didn't know they were not prepared. They didn't know what was happening. So uh, that's how it started. It's, uh, it was like a wave. And it started from the back of the crowd and coming all the way to the front. And people started, like, it was, it was I don't know, like an earthquake. Starts slow and then boom, 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 more and more. And then and what? Amplifies. Um, then he was up there with his wife, to, right? Yes, he was up there at the balcony with his wife. And he started to promise the population, the ones present there, uh, I'll give you, I'll give you meat, I'll give you food. Uh, no worries, uh, you don't have to do all this. Uh, you know, he, he was scared himself because he did not know anything about it either. So, uh, and then when uh, they saw what was uh, happening, they sent uh, a helicopter. And uh, so who's who's they? The his people, his people. Yes, okay. the security. They sent a helicopter, um, and uh, they picked them both up from the uh, up on the building, and they took off. And then we didn't know anything about them for, I would say, about twenty four hours. Meantime, all kinds of uh, uh, history is going on on TV. Uh, the TV program totally ceased. Uh, and we just the only thing we saw were the new people getting into the parliament, taking over, and uh, talking from the. Uh, it was the studio, the national studio, uh, in Bucharest, where they went in, and they took over also the uh, the TV, how they were, you know, letting us know pretty much what was going on and saying we we are the ones that save are saving. The nation, they're gone, whatever. So. Well, tell us what happened to them then. To Ceausescu? And his wife, yeah. Yes. Uh, they were, like I said, they were taken uh, by helicopters. Then we did not know what happened to them. And then suddenly on the on uh, December 25th, no, it was uh, two days before. I think it was the 23rd when uh, they showed uh, like a 
trial. I think it was the 25th. I think it was Christmas. 25th was, yeah. He, that's when he was, uh, he got shot, but executed. But um, they started that trial before. Okay. They caught them because they were going somewhere and they didn't know where they the, were for the, a while. The people caught them yes, when they were the new, in the helicopter. The new people. <laughs> and and uh, yes, and they, they uh, got them through trial. Um, and Ceausescu was promising everybody a better life. Uh, it's Everything's going to be okay, so forth. And they uh, that's when they uh, said, no, you are guilty of everything, atrocities and everything that happened, and we are sentencing you to death. And they went outside, and they shot them both. Squad. And how did the people react to that? Some of them at that moment, I guess, were happy. Uh, they said, okay, we won. We're good. There you go. It's freedom. This is freedom. Everything's going to be okay for the moment. Everything was, so everybody was, was kind of well, not happy, but no, no, we couldn't. They well, showed their bodies yeah. on TV uh, just to show that, yes, they were dead. And that was it. Did life change for the better then after that with the new leaders? We had a transitional period of time from that time to in that moment um, for about, I would say, two years, three years when people had to get readjusted, uh, understand, cope with the new regime that was coming in. Um, and, yeah, we slowly we did, surely. Was there more food available, more not immediately because yeah. it was it it takes a while for to feed a whole country yeah. <laughs> you know from zero yeah. but it was it was getting better and it did it went better and better every year, every year after that and then how and when and why did you come here was it after uh not, yes it was after i was teaching uh, like i said um 1991 uh my uh future husband at that time uh he uh was he came to uh, Romania and um um he was uh, looking for someone to build his life with someone met, uh gave us the opportunity to meet um it was love at first sight or like french people say coup de foudre which means, you know, I mean, that was it. It happened, honestly. It had nothing to do with coming to the United States. I was not prepared, not even thinking about it. But we did fall in love. Um, so it was May 22nd when we met. Uh, June 1st, uh, we got married eight days after, which is totally unbelievable for that time in Romania to get married in eight days Usually it takes months. Um, and uh, then uh, July 22nd, I came to the United States. Mm. Uh, did you he, speak English then? I did, yes. I took English in uh, school, high school, even uh, university. Mm. Um, yes. And what were those early days here like? What were some of the cultural differences or difficulties for me, you faced? Yeah. I had his support at that time, uh, moral financial, of course, um, and um, it was, 
I did not even realize that much that I had to go through tough, tough times. The only thing was that I was not, it was the first time I got out of my country. Yeah. And it was kind of like shocking. Um, I had uh, even, a, you know, I, when we landed in Chicago, uh, there was a, a car coming. And you know how air, air conditioning is here. Inside it's air, cool and nice. Outside it's hot. And uh, we were inside. I thought that was outside. And then when we out went out, a taxi came in to pick us up. And I was like, how can the taxi get into the airport? Because I thought that was inside the, mm. <laughs> the building. It was totally different. Uh, but I had to readjust, yes. Uh, the big stores, yeah. uh, freedom, everything, friendship, people talking to me like I was here for ages since birth. I was, from this point of view, yes, I, I was lucky. Okay. But I came here not because I wanted to necessarily come to the United States. I came here because we, like I said, it was love at first sight. And then we had people, uh, children, I'm sorry, and that was it. Have you gone back to visit Romania? Yes, I did. Uh, How has it changed now? What, what What's it like now? How's it different? Is it better, hopefully? It, it is better, yes. Economically, yes, it's better. For, they have uh, opportunities, uh, um, you know, in any direction. So... Um, they adopted a lot of the language words, <laughs> mm. you know, so uh, it, it's it's better. It's better anyway, much better. It's a thousand percent better than it was in yeah. 81 and before. Do you think you would ever live there again? Honestly, I don't think so. Not move over for good. No, I would not um, because, you know, I always was a patriotic person. And the country that I lived in, I thought that was my country. And since I chose to come here, uh, which was 32 years ago, um, that's it. I consider this is my country. And like I said, I was, I consider myself lucky because I got adopted by this country right away. People, uh, everything. It's it's amazing how someone can live here uh, for such a short time, not being born in this country. Yeah but feeling like it's at home. Yeah, that's nice. Okay, let me ask you, what, what is the best and what's the worst thing about living in the United States? United States? Yeah. Is the life here in the United States is a thousand percent better. Um, and um, I think the the freedom is the main thing that I really like and support and uh, accept absolutely. Um, and the love of the country, as far as I'm concerned, people are really patriotic. They, you know, saluting the flag mm -hmm. and also love of God. You know, mm -hmm. they pray. Even if they have a small, tiny, bitty dinner, they pray. Mm -hmm. And um, the worst, uh, I think, is uh, the addiction, the mm -hmm. drugs, addiction, that needs to be a little, it needs to be more, um, you know, limited and even, I don't know, taken care of. Yeah, it's a problem for sure. Do you have any final thoughts, message for Americans, just from your vantage point as a relative newcomer to this country? Anything you want to say? 
Yes. Um, I want to say that the American people, I I totally um, bow in front of every single American. Um, and um, every time I hear, for example, I hear the national anthem, I have tears in my eyes mm. and salute the flag with every single part of my body um, because I feel for it, not because I want or I'm so I'm forced to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, love your country, uh, respect each other, um, help, help as much as you can people that are in need. And uh, uh, like I said, stop the addiction and please stop the killing. Mm, yeah, that's for sure. All right, well, I really appreciate your time, Miltimesk. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much for for talking with us. Um, You've been listening to Stories of New Americans on News Talk STL 101.994.1. Thank you. Stories of New Americans with Ron Clutho on News Talk STL 101.994.1.